This morning's reading will be from John 11, verses 1 through 44 in the ESV. The death of Lazarus. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Thank you, Natalie, for <clears throat> reading from the Scriptures. May God bless his word here this morning in our gathering. Just want to mention one other note here as far as uh, upcoming things. Also just note that on May the 13th we are, we are having a spring cleanup. Yes, spring is coming. Uh, it may not look like it outside. It may not feel like it outside, but it is coming. And uh, that's good news, is it not? That spring is coming. And so thrilled about that in the first service. I alluded to the fact that summer may not come, and I got in trouble, so I won't say that in the second service. <laughs> you learn from the first, and then you keep moving, right? And so, um, yes. It's Resurrection Sunday, and we've gathered together to celebrate uh, this morning. Uh, well, there's my boy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Let me get this back. Yeah. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Don't tell him. He's the shyest of all my boys. If he knew his picture were up here, he would be mortified. So we'll pretend that didn't happen. It's Resurrection Sunday. Where was I? We, We gathered here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, He is risen. You know, the resurrection is one of the most contested doctrines of the Christian faith. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you who have accepted, uh, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like the teachings of Jesus, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Isn't that the truth? And isn't that why there's such an assault against the resurrection and the truth of the resurrection? W.E. Sangster, a contemporary of Billy Graham years ago, uh, absurdly died early in his life. He was a, a preacher in the Methodist movement and quite a popular preacher and an excellent preacher and communicator of the Word of God. He preached to packed congregations of over 3,000 every Sunday. People would often line up to hear him preach uh, the word. Sangster was asked to take charge of the home mission department for the whole of British Methodism. He plunged into his work, administering a great department and traveling continuously. 
a new bed, new sermons. Nearly every night he prayed and sweated for an awakening of the Christian faith. Three years later, he was conscious of an uneasiness in his throat and dragging of his legs. He went on with his work, but soon he could not avoid seeing a doctor. And what was diagnosed was incurable muscular atrophy. The, mus- uh, the muscles would gradually waste away. The voice would go. The throat would be unable to swallow. He had thought there would be years of hard work ahead. Miss Phippen's words said this about him. When dark despair, he battled through the triumphant ascent. He, w- he, he could still write. He would have more time to pray. Let me stay in the struggle, he required, or he prayed to the Lord as he pleaded. I don't mind. I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but please give me a regiment to lead. Against increasing limitations, he forced himself to work. Why? I'm only in the kindergarten of suffering, is how he answered those who sympathized with his great struggle. Gradually, his legs became less and less, and his voice and then melodious organs that had thrilled thousands went completely away. Speechless and helpless, he would still hold a pen. He was radiant. On and on he wrote, utter suffering, utter acceptance. His delight in my mother never faltered, nor she in her great courage. You are wonderful, she wrote about him, shaking his, uh, shaking his hand, his pen now his only means of communication. On Easter Day, he wrote this, It's terrible to awake on Easter Sunday morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen. But, but it would be still all the more terrible to have a voice and not to want to shout it. To have a voice and not to want to shout it. This morning, this morning we celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen. For he is risen. And we gather together to celebrate this because it gives us hope. It gives us courage for a new day. It gives us strength. It gives us an insight as to who Jesus Christ is. He is a set apart from every world uh, leader, every religious leader, for he rose from the grave. Today we have dove into the text found in John chapter 11, an eyewitness account about the ministry and service of Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus at this time in his ministry has proven that he is God. He has healed the sick. He has caused the lame to walk. He has had power over dominions and powers. He's cast out demons. He's had authority over the weather, time, and space. And yes, more than all of that, he had authority to forgive sin. This is a culmination of his ministry. This is nearing the end. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And soon he will will stand before Pontius Pilate, Herod, and Caiaphas and stand trial. And then he will be beaten and bruised and hung on a cross, a spear placed in his side where he will die. But ultimately he will rise. Before all this comes to pass, he, he heads to Bethany, this small little community. And there he proves that he is the risen Savior, that he is God in flesh who dwells among us. He raises one from the dead. I love this passage of Scripture. It speaks the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us of the power that he had and how he walked in step with his Father. Not only that, it shows the ramifications of the reality of what the world thought of him. 
If you read a little bit further from what Natalie shared, you would read that it was soon after this that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, plot to kill Jesus. More than that, if you read chapter 12 of John, you will see that not only did they seek to kill Jesus, but they also sought to kill Lazarus, the one who was risen from the grave. Because with every breath he breathed, with every step he took, he was proof and evidence as to the person of Jesus Christ, that he was truly God in flesh who dwelt among us. This is the evidence of Jesus Christ. And so today, I would like us to take a close look at this passage and see about some of the principles that we can learn. Before we do that, let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll dive into this Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. Thank you that we have the privilege and honor to gather together to celebrate the resurrection. Father, thank you that we can gather together in a community such as this and encourage one another. That we can point one another to you, Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. That in the midst of our circumstances, we can find hope, strength, courage for a new day. Would you speak to each one of us as you see fit this morning? Father, some are gathering here. They are so discouraged about the circumstances they find themselves in. Breath of the Holy Spirit, would you come and speak life? Father, others are here, unsure of their eternity, unsure of how they will pass the judgment that lies ahead. Would you come and give life, we pray. May the truth be declared in such a way that we would be set free May the manifest presence of God be with us, we pray. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Notice how this text begins. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, a village of Mary, uh, the village of Mary and uh, her, her sister Martha. The context is given here, the place, the location of these great events. It's not some obscure village that's far off that no one can go to or no one can find. No, it's a village that is actually quite close to Jerusalem, two miles out on the east side of the Mount of Olives. It's in this small village that this family that we know a little bit about, we see them kind of scattered throughout the gospel messages. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they're gathered together, and there's a crisis. It's not that they have a sniffling cold. It's not that Lazarus has some sort of ailment that uh, soon will pass. No, no, it's a crisis uh, of, of great proportions. Lazarus is ill. And in the sense that uh, of the reality of the, the situation, Mary and Martha are quite concerned. And so they, they, send, uh, they send one of the, the people, one of their friends, to go and find Jesus. And they want Jesus to know that the, the circumstances aren't good. In verse 3, it says, A sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he in whom you love, he's ill. The one in whom you love, he, he's taken sick, Jesus. You, you need to come. You need to come and help. We're in crisis. Now for us, the word love, it's lost much of its meaning. We talk about loving, you know, ice cream. We talk about loving chips. We talk about loving people. We talk about loving our pets. Love, it's lost its power. It's lost its impact. In, in, in the days of Jesus, love had far more profound and also descriptive words. If you look at the Greek text here, the word that is used by the sisters is the word philo. Which to you may go, what does that mean? Well, think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You see, Philadelphia is named after this, uh, the, the gathering of, of people. It's named after this idea that it's a city of brotherly love. 
That's the word that the sisters are using here. They're saying, Lord, the one that you love as a friend, the one that you love as a brother, the one you like to hang around with, listen, he's sick. You know, for many of us, friends, yes, we've heard the idea that God loves us, but the truth of the matter is we don't even love ourselves. Isn't that true? And we wonder, how could God love us? More than that, why would God want to spend time with us? Yet here's the truth. The truth is that God doesn't just love you. He likes you. And he likes to be with you. He likes to spend time with you. He has created you. He's woven you together in your mother's womb. He knows you intimately. He's keenly aware of who you are. See, the sisters see this in their relationship with Lazarus and Jesus. And they know that if they're concerned, he'd be concerned. And so they address the Lord with respect, with awe. They're concerned about the circumstances. Lazarus is, is close unto death. And so they send word to Jesus, the one you love, the brother, the, the one that you enjoy hanging out with, he's ill. You need to come. Well, we're concerned. We don't know if he's going to make it. Now, when Jesus hears of this, he said this illness does not lead to death. Now, it's a bit confusing because at one minute he's saying it's not going to lead to death, and the next he dies. And, and, and does Jesus know that he's going to die? How does this all work? Well, yes, there's all kinds of layers here. The, when Jesus hears this, he says to his disciples, listen, the one, this illness, I'm sorry, it does not lead to death. No, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. You see, the illness is for God's glory. It's, it's much like the encounter that happened in John chapter 9. You see, for the Jewish people, they believed that uh, uh, a blessing came with those who were obedient. And if you were obedient, then you, you had blessing. And, and, and in John chapter 9, they see a blind young man, and he's begging. And they, they, they say, who sinned here? Who sinned? Did, did this guy sin? Is that why he's blind? See, in their minds, they, they jumped to the conclusion that if someone had trouble, uh, then they weren't receiving the blessing of God. There must be sin in the camp. There must be sin in the life. It's the only way this made sense. Who sinned? Him? Or, or was it his parents? Was he in close proximity to sin and to, uh, uh, to his parents, sin, and therefore he is bearing the brunt of their sin. Jesus answers. He says, no. No, it's neither his sin nor the parents' sin, but to the glory of God. God was going to be glorified through his illness, through his blindness. And so too, the same principle is true here. Jesus says to his disciples, listen, this illness, it's not going to lead to death. Stay focused on me. Listen, listen, this illness is not going to lead to death. It's to the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, to God's glory. You see, the Son sought to bring honor and glory to the Father. That was his role. He did nothing on his own accord, but only what he saw, what he heard from the Father. But more than that, not only did the Son not do anything unless the Father directed or the Father spoke, the, the Father also sought to bring glory to the Son. Jesus stated earlier in John that he brings glory to the Father and when he completes the thing that God has sent for him. But the Father's express purpose is that he would also bring glory and honor to the Son. 
The scriptures declare that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is Lord. And so through these circumstances with Lazarus, through this illness, God was going to be glorified. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, may be glorified through it. Friends, irregardless of your circumstances, irregardless of your challenges, God can receive glory if you look to him. Irregardless of the things that you are leaning into, irregardless of the pressure that you feel yourself under, God is able to redeem them. Out of the ashes bring life. Will you look to him? Verse 5 goes on, just to bring clarity to the situation. See, the sisters recognize this unique relationship between Jesus and Lazarus, this philo love. But more than that, now Jesus, as the apostle uh, John says, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now in this context, love is a bit different than philo love. It's agape love. The Greek word that the, uh, the um, uh, evangelist uses, agape love. Agape love is a perfect love that God has for he, those that, uh, uh, um, that uh, <laughs> for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's a perfect love. It's a love that, that is not uh, lacking in any way. It's a perfect love. Wrapped up in God's uh, receiving his glory is this love for the family in Bethany. He's working to bring the benefit to the family and to his glory. Jesus in so doing, decides to stay a couple of days before traveling back to be with the family. Now think about that. See, the response is that Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus in spite of these circumstances. And yet, when he hears that Lazarus is ill, he stays two days longer in the place where he was. <laughs> About a month ago, my wife and I were talking and she said, you know, honey, I, I, I'm... I'm learning something about uh, our Lord and Savior. And she said, you know, he never rushed anywhere. I was like, good night. (laughs) That's right. Jesus never rushed anywhere. (laughs) Then my wife said, honey, uh, you know, if we're walking in step with the Spirit, if we're surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we probably should never rush anywhere. Oh, that was a bit convicting, as you could well imagine. Uh, even this morning, I think we failed as we were trying to get the kids out the door and in the truck and get to church. I mean, my, come on, come on, let's go. Why are you dilly-dallying? Let's get in the truck. Please have mercy on us. <laughs> you could just imagine what it's like. Whee! Jesus never rushed anywhere. He was never in a rush. He was always on time, and his time was always perfect. Always. Isn't that wonderful news? Isn't that wonderful that our Lord and our Savior never rushed? You see, the evidence is found here. Yes, he loves Martha. Yes, he loves uh, Mary. Yes, he loves Lazarus. He understands the situation. And he stays for two days longer in the place where he was. He refused to rush. He was not going to react. Our God is not a reactive God. He isn't. He's always in charge of time and space. He's always in charge of all circumstances we find ourselves. It is never too late for him 
to receive honor and glory. He stays two days. Now, now you got to wonder what that would be like if you were Mary or Martha or Lazarus. Yes, surely, as you do the time frame and you look at how long it would take to travel, it was probably true that Lazarus died as soon as the messenger was sent. And it was too late to retrieve the messenger. And so the, the travel to Jesus, then two days, and then the travel down, that's four days, and that's how long Lazarus was in the grave. Four days he was in the grave. The stone had been rolled in front. He had certainly began to decay. It would have been great chaos for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They would have been wondering and questioning, where is the love of God? Jesus, are you apathetic towards our concerns and our needs? Jesus, don't you care about the, the circumstances we find ourselves in? Jesus, we know you have power. We know you're able. Why are you not here in our need? Yet... Jesus, in the midst of the two days, he's about the glory of God. Now, he's never in a rush. It's not because he's not concerned, but he sees things from 60,000 feet versus, versus just what's in front of us or behind us. Jesus is never in a rush. Secondly, this also indicates the proof that Jesus can't be manipulated. He can't be manipulated to do something that he's not been uh, uh, released to do by the Father. He can't be manipulated. No, instead, he waits two days, and yes, he does love, and yes, he knows there's a perfect time and place. He won't be manipulated. And even though things are confusing at times, even though things are challenging, even though things don't make sense, there's a perfect time for everything. And then ultimately, nothing can stop the plan of Christ. Nothing. Not four days in a grave. Not an illness. Not despair or discouragement. Nothing can stop the work of Christ. He is able to complete the things that he has designed and set out to do. Nothing can stop him. So Jesus waits. He waits two days. This is not because he's calloused, but rather because he loves Lazarus. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. And he loves the disciples. And he seeks to build their faith. And he seeks that they would understand who he is and all that he's able to do. Now as the invitation comes, Jesus says, okay, let's go. It's time. Let's go. Notice what the disciples do. The disciples recognize that Jesus' life has, has, has come to a close. And, and not only that, that he's in Bethany, which is just around the corner from Jerusalem. And it's in that very place that Jesus had been threatened to be stoned and killed. And so they say, with quite reasonable uh, concern, Hey, Rabbi, teacher. Now, the Jews, weren't they just now seeking to stone you? And you're going there again? Huh. Uh, Rabbi, is this a good idea? Are, are you sure about this? Should we, should we not keep our distance? Is it not safer here than there? Huh. Rabbi, I think we best not go. Uh, now Jesus speaks to them. He says, listen, there's 12 hours in the day. 
Don't, don't worry about it. And when it's day, it's time to work. Let's get the things done. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, God is the author of time and space. God is the controller of all things. He is sovereign over all things. And so, yes, yes, there are those who seek to attack and to stone Jesus. Yes, there's those who seek to end Jesus' life and ministry. But we need not be afraid in the midst of those circumstances because our God is sovereign. He holds all things together. And when it's day, let's get the work done. For the night comes, Jesus says. But when it's day, there's no need to fear for the Father's in control. After saying these things, he said to them, You see, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. This is a consistent language that Jesus uses with the Old Testament. It often said in 1 Kings and in Chronicles that the, uh, the kings went and fell asleep and were with their forefathers. When Jesus speaks of the reality that Lazarus had fallen asleep, he's speaking about the reality that Jesus has, has fallen asleep. He has passed away. He is dead. But I will go to awaken him. Notice the, the use of language here. First of all, notice that Jesus uses our he says, our friend, Lazarus, your friend, my friend, he's fallen asleep. He's passed away. He's dead. But, but I. Notice that the disciples are servants of Christ. They walk with him. They don't have authority and power to do anything. It is Christ alone who is the resurrection and the life. He's the one who's able to awaken him. And Jesus rightly says, yes, he's our friends, but, but I'm the one who's going to bring him awake. You see, the disciples, they didn't understand. They, they thought that, Jesus, that Lazarus had slept and, and, and that he wasn't dead. And, and Jesus kind of, okay, let's just explain this as plain as day, he basically says. He tells them plain, no, 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 no. Lazarus hasn't slept. He's died. And then he says this, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Huh. Lazarus' life and illness had a far-reaching impact, far, far further reaching than he anticipated or expected. This illness that he had and, and, and the reality that it led to his death the grief that Mary and Martha are enduring, the questions, the challenges that they are experiencing in the midst of the chaos that, that Jesus Christ the Lord, the author and perfecter of faith, Jesus Christ the Lord, the one who's able to raise those who are sick and to bring healing, refused to come in the midst of all this grief and chaos. The impact of what Jesus was doing, was reaching the disciples. See, Jesus says, listen, Lazarus is dead. And it's for your sake that you would grow, that you would know, that you would understand who I am, that you may believe. See, the impact of the circumstances that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are going through has an impact that's far broader, that has a far uh, larger reach than they anticipate. Friends, friends, no struggle you're going through, no battle that you're enduring, no chaos or confusion can't be redeemed by our great and gracious God. 
Friends, you may not understand the impact of what you're enduring. You may not appreciate how hard it is. And yet, yet it's never gone wasted. Jesus Christ the Lord uses all our circumstances for his honor, for his glory. Lazarus uh, could have been healed instead of raised from the dead. He, he could have been taken care of quickly. But instead, Jesus waits two years for the benefit not only of Lazarus, not only of Mary and Martha, but also for his disciples. The impact of our lives, friends, is far greater than we could ever imagine. Friends, don't give up in the midst of your circumstances. Don't get discouraged. Lean in, press on. That others too who are watching may believe. Then Jesus says, let's go. Now, as Jesus approaches, many have gathered, probably from Jerusalem. It's only two miles away. They've gathered to, to grieve with Martha, with Mary, with the community, to grieve the loss of Lazarus. For sure, religious leaders have gathered there as well. Many are wondering what's going to happen. Jesus is making his way. Martha has come to the conclusion that it's, it's now just a time of comforting one another. A time to encourage one another. A time for, for saying goodbye. And so as Jesus Christ, the Lord, approaches, she approaches him and, and, and she says, Lord, and I love that. It's an indication that she, she's not allowed her circumstances, her grief, her disappointment, her confusion to steal away from the reverence she has for Jesus Christ. She says, Lord, she hasn't lost confidence in him. If you had been here, if you had just, if you had just been here, if you had sensed the urgency of the request that we sent out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not be dead. He wouldn't have died. Oh, friends. Friends, how many times have we prayed or made a statement like that? Lord, if you had just, if you had just showed up, Lord, if you had just done this, I wouldn't be in this mess. Our faith is wavering we're struggling to hold on to Jesus Christ. And that's what Martha's doing here. She's being reverent in her approach to the Lord. She, she knows God is good. She knows Jesus Christ is Lord. She knows what he's capable of. And yet, there's disappointment here. Discouragement. Wonder. Uh, Jesus, he responds to her by saying, listen, your brother will rise again. Jesus is seeking to draw Martha's attention towards himself. He's trying to get Martha to understand who he is. Now Martha, like so many, believed in the resurrection. She believed that, yes, there would be a time of accounting. There would be a time of judgment. She believed that there would be a resurrection of all people. And that that was in the future day, the last days. But Jesus couldn't be misunderstood no his desire his intent was that he was going to do a work and so he hones in on her even more and he goes on to say listen Martha Martha I know that you're thinking about the last days Martha I think you're you're missing my point here and Jesus says to her I am the resurrection I am the life 
What Jesus is saying is that he's the resurrection. He's the life. He's drawing Martha's attention to him and his immediate authority, his immediate power, that in her circumstances, in her grief, Jesus was still the answer. He was still the hope. He was still the resurrection, just as Jesus gives bread. But he's more than that. According to John 6.35, he's the bread of life. Jesus is also the resurrection. He is the resurrection. It's not just that he's going to uh, uh, resurrect or rise up the people. More than that, he is the resurrection. He is. Jesus is speaking not just about the final resurrection, but that he is the resurrection. He embodies the resurrection. The resurrection, as I've said, has taken such a great assault by so many people. Because if you believe the resurrection, then Jesus Christ is God. And everything he says, we have to follow. Hank Hennegraaff rightly says, when speaking about the resurrection and the impact that it had, he says, considering the resurrection, what happened as a result of the resurrection is unprecedented in human history. In the span of a few hundred years, a small band of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning an entire empire upside down, that being Rome. As has been well said, they faced the tyrants of brandished steel, the lion's gory mane, and the fires of a thousand deaths because they were utterly convinced that they, like their master, would one day rise again from the grave and be glorified in resurrected bodies, bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the resurrection. When that captures our hearts and our minds, it fundamentally transforms the way that we live our lives. When we realize that this is but a point of all eternity, when we realize that the resurrection lies ahead and that Jesus Christ is the resurrection, it changes and transforms our lives. Jesus is the resurrection. More than that, he is the life. Here is a consistent idea that's been put forward in the Apostle John's writings. Life has been described throughout the gospel as the life of God, eternal life, saving life, life of the kingdom. You see, when we believe in Christ, when we believe and accept what Christ has done, we believe that he is the resurrection and he gives life. Jesus hones his uh, uh, questions and his comments to uh, Martha. He wants her to completely understand what's about to happen. He goes on, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And this is for a purpose. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, to believe means to put trust in, to, to follow, to invest in, to surrender Believe. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live, Jesus says. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Friends, that questions echoes through all time in history. Not only to Martha, not only to Mary, but to you and to me.
It is the fundamental question that we all have to answer. It's the question that will be presented time and again throughout our lives. And when we stand before Jesus Christ our Lord on Judgment Day, the question that will be asked is, do you believe in the resurrected Christ? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sin? Do you believe that he has paid him full for all your sin? That he was the perfect sacrifice, God in flesh dwelt among us. Do you believe that he died in your place and that he is risen? If you believe, friends, you shall never die. If you believe, you will spend eternity with him. If you believe, your life for now and forever will be changed and transformed. But friends, if you deny it, if you don't believe, if you reject that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, friends, then judgment is yours. And no case, no sincerity, no amount of good living will spare you from the wrath of God that awaits. Friends, this is the most important question that we could ask. And listen, Jesus hones it in for Martha. He wants her to understand. It's a question that she alone can answer. Friends, I can't answer this question for you. Neither can the person sitting next to you. Neither can your family. The question that you have to answer is, who is Jesus Christ? Is he your resurrection? Is he the life? Is he your savior? Did he die in your place? Has he paid in full for all your sins? Friends, that's the question. The question that you have to answer. She doesn't miss a beat. Yes, Lord, she says. I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah. I believe that God sent you, that you pay the price, that you are perfect. I believe that you are the son of the living God, that you are the one who's come to give resurrection and life. I believe in the midst of my chaos, in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my grief, I believe in you, Lord. I believe. I believe. I believe. Father, Jesus says, thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of all people standing around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And then he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. Some commentators have suggested that if he didn't use the name Lazarus, more graves would have been opened. <laughs> That would have been something. And the truth of the claims of Christ, that he is the resurrection and life, were realized. Lazarus came bound up. Unbind him, Jesus said, and let him go. He was resurrected. Jesus is the resurrection, my friends. And he's come to set us free from our sin, from our grief, from our selfishness. He's come to set us free and to give us a new way of living. To give us life, hope, and eternity. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? Let's stand together and I'm going to call the worship team to come and gather. I have a few questions as we seek to apply this message to our lives here this Easter morning. Friends, are you, 
Are you distressed about your circumstances, questioning, wondering about the love of God towards you? Friends, make no mistake. Irregardless of your circumstances, how difficult or hard they are, God loves you. With a perfect love, he does. Will you look to him and trust him again? Friends, if you're in the church and you've, and you've, you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, but your circumstances have been overwhelming lately, will you trust anew today that he is the resurrection and the life? That he's not in a hurry, but his time is perfect. And the impact and the glory that will come to God the Father, God the Son, it's worth it. Will you trust anew? Friends, if you're here this day and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know him as the resurrection and the life, today is the day that you need to call on his name. The question he asks Martha is the question he asks you and me. The question is, do you believe? Friends, if you're anything like me, you know. You know you're broken. I'm broken. I sin. I, I do things I don't want to do. I wish, I wish I didn't. And no amount of effort or discipline can change my life. No, Jesus Christ the Lord, he can. Would you put your faith and trust in him? For he is the resurrection and the life. Answer this question afresh today, would you please? Trust in him. Follow him. Believe on him. For he is the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of your word. As we gather here, many here are discouraged. They're wondering where you are. They're wondering if you care. You've been quiet. It's not been two days. It's been a lot longer than that for some. And there's a sense that you love, but boy, it's tough. Would you awaken in each one of our hearts through the work of your spirit? new hope and trust? Would you breathe the truth of your love into our ears and into our hearts and minds and help us to lean in one more day and to look to you? And Father, for those who are gathered here this morning who've never surrendered the knee and admitted their sin, may today be the day that they hear your invitation that you are the resurrection and the life. confess agree with you and call on your name receiving what Jesus did on the cross receiving life and hope and resurrection power in Christ's name Amen